We are continuing on Ephesians. We're in part eight now. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm not going exhaustively through the book of Ephesians, or we would probably uh, be 20 weeks in this book, but there's a lot in it. And uh, as I was talking about today, this, the message today is, who are you imitating? But I started thinking about technology. How many of you know technology has changed a lot over the last hundred years, right? I mean, a lot. Uh, what, things that once seemed impossible are now possible. How many of you, and I've kind of seen the little meme people are like, uh, like when you were in math, and it's like, you'll, you know, the t- math teacher would say, you're not going to always have a calculator with you. How many of you know they didn't have any idea? <laughs> Right, we got them with us all the time now. This is what's funny. The, a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, putting posts up on the new property because we're going to put some banners out there, some more banners this week, and we didn't bring a level with us. Uh, so I was like, well, do we have one? And I'm like, no, just kind of eyeball it. Next thing I know, Timothy pulls out a level app on his phone. I didn't even know that existed. I'm like, isn't that cool? right? I can level things with my phone. I mean, it's just amazing some of that. And I love that. I mean, I love some of that. Aren't you glad? Are you thankful for some of the technology? How many of you know early Americans, this is how they had to travel, right? Like horse and buggy. I'm thinking, oh, it looks like a little San Francisco streetcar being drawn by horses. And, you know, earlier this week, Monday, we went to Half Moon Bay, just had a fun time and went through San Francisco. We didn't see one of these. Along the highway, nobody riding horses, nobody doing any of that, because that is how things used to be. The new normal is driving in vehicles, right? We got cars, trucks, uh, whatever you whatever you may have, motorcycles, right? I'm sorry I left the motorcycle right. off of that, but uh, I'm yeah, I get left out a lot. How many of you are thankful for the new normal? Yep. I mean, I know uh, as gas prices keep going up, we may be going back to that. <laughs> but I hope not, right? Because I, I, I kind of like that. I remember years ago when I was in basic training, I would communicate to Colleen by these things called letters. <laughs> How many of you remember back then, like you actually wrote words out on a page, folded it up, put it in an envelope and sent it off, and you were not going to get an immediate reply, right? You had to wait for however long they got it. If they were going to write back, all of it to come back. That's not the case anymore. Now we can just text. And, uh, and I was looking for a picture to post about text, and I got caught in this loop about funny text. So I figured I would share a couple of those with you. This is mom. Mom, stop. You are not funny. You never make jokes. And she replied, I made you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good mom one right there. Here's another from mom. She's texting her kid. Please stop changing Google logo so much. I like the original one. Mom, I don't change the logo. Google changes it. (laughs) On my computer, you don't run the Google? If I did, I wouldn't be driving a 2004 Ford. (laughs) That's true, right? Mom just didn't get that one. I like this one. Your great aunt just passed away, LOL. If you guys know what that... She goes, why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh my goodness, I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. <laughs> now I got to call everybody back. I mean, that just, that crack. Okay, I got one more here, here. When your kids don't respond, uh, don't forget to unload the dishwasher. No response. Did you finish your homework? No response. We have to go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. No response. 
Dad and I talked. We're going to go buy you a car next month. You are? Oh, that's great. Thank you. It's like, no, we're not. I just wanted to make sure you're getting my text. <laughs> How many of you guys can identify with that, right? That, you know, we don't have to worry about... Now, we don't have to send letters. We can just send text messages. Cell phones have really made a lot of things convenient. How many of you remember the day when we had, whoops, the, uh, the rotary phone? And, and somebody that had a lot of like nines and zeros in their phone number, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to wait for this dial to go all the way back around. <laughs> Spin it all the way back around. Like, why did you have that number? And not only that, I mean, I remember that if you wanted to have a private conversation, guess what? Wherever that phone was, that's where you stood. Like there was the wire that connected it to the wall, and then you had the cord. And if you're really lucky, maybe your parents bought a longer wire so that you could hopefully stretch it out into your room and kind of close the door. Anybody have one of those? You wanted to get a little privacy. I mean, you were connected. And then this used to be everywhere. Payphones everywhere. And uh, like, like you're driving down a road, oh, there's a payphone. You don't hardly see them anymore. You know, and the sad thing about that is, is where does Superman change his clothes now? Amen. That's why we don't see him. They got rid of his changing booth. And, and not only that, that's not really a good phone booth to uh, change in, right? Anyway, that's just how, that was the old normal. Today, you know, like I said, we have the new normal and we can take pictures of it because this is what we used to do. Remember with the film, anybody ever get, get that messed up? Or uh, I remember we would take pictures and you had to actually go to a place where they developed it or you mailed it in, dropped it in the box. I rem- this was a number of years ago, but we had like a drawer full, full of undeveloped film. And then we're like taking it in like six years later in order to get it developed. Like, oh man, I remember when the kids were so little like this. That was so cute. Now they're like, you know, out of high school. So uh, But that was, and the problem with this was whatever picture you took, that's what you got. If your eyes were closed, too bad. Your Christmas photo had your eyes closed, right? (laughs) There was no like looking like, how did I look? How did I look? Now people take about 20 photos until they find the one they like and delete the rest. So aren't you thankful for that? Right? Oh, I don't like that. I was looking away. I was doing that. I was whatever. I was in the middle of a sneeze, right? So, uh... This is new technology is very helpful. And uh, video cameras, you can take videos anywhere. I just love that technology. I, I enjoy new things, learning that. Sometimes they're a little frustrating. Anybody find that? <laughs> uh, but it makes it a lot easier. Now, why am I talking about the new normal? Because when you become a follower of Jesus, how many of you know it leads to a new normal way of living? What used to be, what you used to live, how you used to act, that's old and that's past. You don't want that anymore. I need to begin to take steps in the new directions. And I shared this principle last week that when Jesus is on the inside, guess what? It changes the outside, right? I mean, that's just like simple right there. Because if following Jesus doesn't change what used to be normal, then really am I following him? If the only thing in my life has changed is that now I go to church occasionally and I actually bought a Bible or I download the Bible app, how many of you know other things need to change? Am I really following him if, they, if nothing else has changed? 
And so this uh, letter to the Ephesians, and I've been covering it for several weeks. We know Paul was in prison. We remember that they struggled with prejudice and stuff like that. Uh, but they also struggled with how to live their lives for Jesus. How do I, how, uh, you know, what I used to live like, what is it supposed to look like now that I'm following Jesus? And Paul answers this for him. He's basically giving them a guidebook of what normal is supposed to look like if you're a follower of Christ. You can't, you don't want to define uh, Christianity by political things or by cultural things. We've got to follow God's word. Amen. Amen. So here's the thing. A uh, biblical Christian whose life has been changed by Jesus, it is supposed to be radically different. Amen? We get that, right? That's, That's not rocket science. We understand that, but it should be the fact to where other people notice it. They should notice how we talk, how we act, the way we respond to situations should be different. Amen? So let's get into chapter 5. I'm going to start out. He says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. Now let me key you in on a little, uh, what I learned in Bible school. Anytime you see this word therefore in a scripture, you got to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? That's a good way to remember that. Uh, okay, he's saying be imitators of God. What he's referring to usually is something that he already talked about. This is the beginning of the chapter. He's referring to the verse before that. The chapter before, so uh, just so everybody knows, when the Bible was written, when these letters were written, there were no chapters and there were no verses. Those were all added later. It was one long letter. Sometimes we break it up and we forget, oh, I read chapter 4 last week, I'm reading chapter 5 this week. No, it was connected. So he's saying this therefore was connected, whoops, I'm going backwards, to uh, chapter 4, verse 32. He tells them, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Then he says to be an imitator of God. What did God do? What did God do? He forgave us. Therefore, as his dearly loved children, we need to forgive others. That's what that connection is right there. How many of you know I could stop the message right there and that's enough? Every time we talk, forgiveness is a big issue. There's a lot of people that love God, and they're just struggling with forgiving other people, sometimes other Christians. And I get it. We get offended. We get hurt. Somebody did something, or they didn't do something we expected them to do. They said something, and then now, rather than imitating God and forgiving them, we're hanging on to this grudge. All right, we're hanging on to something. And uh, man, today, I'll tell you, people will cleverly post something on Facebook with a shot towards some other believer, right? And, and, and you know, this is what we call passive aggressive. Like, I just posted something. I didn't mean anything by that, right? I just saw this great little picture here, but yeah, you know you were targeting somebody. Yeah. You were trying to say something. And let me just say, that attitude hurts you and it hurts the other person. And I believe it hurts the body of Christ. So, like I said, I get it. When we get hurt, I mean, I've been hurt, right? Anybody ever been hurt by somebody else? It happens. But guess what? We still need to act like a follower of Christ, not like some petty, immature, angry sinner. Amen? Amen. I didn't get any amens on that one. No, I want to be petty and immature and angry, right? (laughs) Listen, you have been forgiven. I've been forgiven. So I have to tell my, I've got to learn to forgive other people. And I know forgiveness is not an emotion, right? 
You may still feel those feelings towards somebody, but you choose to forgive anyway. And the more that you choose to forgive, eventually, all of a sudden, that weight and the chains of it begin to fall off of you. So it's a process sometimes, right? The, de- the deeper the cut, the longer that process takes, but it's like, I want to be on the road to forgiveness. Yeah. Amen? So, let's, so he says, be imitators of God, therefore, whoops, as dearly loved children. Anyway, here's the thing. How many of you know that kids learn by watching their parents? They just do. If you watch a child and you see their mannerisms, their gestures, their words, their phrases, the way they respond to pressure, guess what? It's usually a reflection of their parents, it, 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 whether you like it or not. And uh, I remember my son Joshua when he was two, and uh, he's 30 now, but when he was two years old, I would hold him a lot of times during a worship service, and I'd be, I'd be raising one hand because I'm holding him with the other hand, but it wasn't long before he started raising his hand too. At two years old, whether he understood worship or anything at that part, uh, I don't know, but it was, he started, he saw me raising my hand, he was raising his hand, and, and that's just how it is. And, you know, today, I don't hold Joshua like that anymore. <laughs> Come here, Joshua, let's give it a shot, right? No, I don't do that, but I can say from a very young age, he has been one of the biggest worshipers in our family. And it's not just imitating me anymore. It's him and his relationship with the Lord. So our kids, here's the thing I believe, our kids learn to worship or not to worship based off of what they see, right? Based on what they, what they and let me just say, as children, children imitating their parents, one aspect, how many of you know that's kind of exciting? How many of you know the other kind of aspect that's a little bit frightening? All right, let's be honest. And let me just say, and, and I'm going to add this in here, it's not scientific, But Pastor Colleen and I have been in ministry for 30-plus years now. Uh, We've encountered a lot of people over those years, a lot of kids that grew up in her kids' church that are adults and have kids now. And and let me just say this. The parents that came inconsistent to church because there was sports, there was sleep-ins, there were day trips, they don't want to go. We've had kids that have told on their parents that we were sick this last week. How many of you know when they get the quote fingers, that means they weren't really sick? Oh, kids, <coughs> I don't think we can make it to church today. Anyway, over that time, and I'm just going to say almost 100%, and like I said, this is not scientific, the kids that were raised like that, where their parents were inconsistent, to this day, they either don't go to church or rarely, if ever. All right? I mean, I'm just say, I don't say that to condemn anybody. This is just something that I've witnessed because kids are learning what they see. If it's not important to you, it's not going to be important to them. If it's way down on the list, and really, that's the idea. You know, the idea of our kids intimidating, that's why it's frightening. Because we want them to pick up our good qualities, right? Wouldn't that be? But don't, just ignore the bad things. Right? Don't pay attention to that. You know, it, guess what? If you're a liar, guess what your kids are going to be? Right? If you're loud and angry and cursing, how many of you guys remember the movie Christmas Story? And if you remember that, there was little Ralphie and he had some kind of word come out of his mouth that shouldn't have. And her mom, his mom was like, Oh, where did you hear that word? And he quickly had to think about one of his friends because, but he goes, The reality is I've heard my dad use that a hundred times, right? We learn that stuff, that whatever it is, we can't just say, okay, follow my good example, not my bad example. You can't do that because they're going to learn both of them. 
And, and I think about, you know, that's why I had this picture here. Today, our kids have role models. And, uh, and there's a, there were so many I could have put up here, right? I just picked two of them just because it had this little uh, worst role models. Some of you that, if you do know, who, who knows who this is? All right, Miley Cyrus. Who knows when she was younger, she had a TV program. What was that called? Hannah Montana. Let me tell you, that was good. That was clean. That was, she was a good role model at that point for our young girls. But all of a sudden, she got out of that, and she became one of the raunchiest people around. And now she's still a role model, right? She's still a role model for our young people. And it's like, you know, as you get older, how many of you know you don't really care what they think? You're going to live your life like role model, small model. But when you're young, there are people that people look up to. And there's more and more bad examples of role models than there are good role models. And I just think, you know, yesterday we did a funeral for uh, uh, Lonnie Eisner. And one of the things that really blessed me is he had three of his grandkids that gave a testimony of, of how he influenced them in a positive way. The things that they learned from him. So guess what? It's not just parents that, that, that can influence your kids. It's your grandparents can influence them. Great grandparents. We need to be that good role model. Amen? Because our, I, that's why I'm concerned. I agree with Pastor Colleen. I'm concerned about our young people because they keep getting the bad role models that are leading them. I mean, think about all these role models in Hollywood, music industry. I mean, they've been married numerous times. Uh, may, they may have money and all of that, but they're miserable. But yet they're role models that are out there. And here's uh, number one in your notes. The reality is I resemble who I respect and admire. Whoever I put up on that pedestal, right? Paul says to be an imitator of God. And you realize if you respect, admire, and worship and follow Jesus, guess what? Your life is going to eventually resemble Jesus, right? If, if he is my role model, and I just think this, that there is no greater compliment than when somebody says, you know what? When I see you, I see Jesus. What a great compliment that, you know, you know, Christians may say that somebody that doesn't know the Lord, they may know something's different about you. Uh, they don't know what it is, but they say there's something different about you. And you're like, man, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Because if I'm being nice to you in a situation, you can give God the credit for that. If I'm being mean and angry and critical, then I'll take that one. Jesus is the one that has that good stuff. That's awesome. That is what is supposed to be normal. So he tells them in verse 1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And then in verse 2, he says, and live a life of love. Can we just say that phrase right quick? Live a life of love. Man, that's been ruminating in my head all week as I've been studying for this. He says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the kind of love that he's talking about, a life of sacrifice and offering to other people. I, I've been challenged as I get into this uh, message this week, Lord, am I living a life of love or am I just kind of doing the things? When I die, I want people to be able to say about me, oh yeah, Scott, he lived a life of love. He lived a life of sacrifice for other people because here's what love really is, biblical love isn't this feeling, oh, you know what, the feeling or some kind of fleeting emotion. It is a choice that you and I make. 
We choose to love, right? The world makes it sound like it's an emotion. Oh, it's a feeling. Oh, I fell out of love. Oh, you know, like, like you, you know, love is what, it's just things that bounce around. No, love is always a choice. It's a decision that you and I make. And when we choose to love other people, we willingly sacrifice ourselves for that. That means I'm going to put you first above me. I'm going to put your needs. How many of you know that's so counter to what our world says? So counter to that. That kind of love, it's not based on if somebody's attractive. How many of you know God didn't fall in love with you once he saw how you looked? He loved us from the beginning. His love is unconditional. It's extravagant. As in fact, he loved us enough to actually die for us. That's God's love. And let me say this. When you give up your wants your needs, your desires, your preference, and you begin to put others first, I believe that that's when you begin to look like Jesus. You begin to resemble Jesus. I mean, you think about it. Am I looking like Jesus? Am I reflecting him? Listen, when you put other people first, you're looking like Jesus because that is not normal in our society. And, uh, and, and I just, you know, I, I see so many times people that, that do that, and it's like, wow, that's what Jesus would do. We had this function yesterday with this funeral, and, you know, there were people I know that stayed, came early to help serve. They stayed late to help clean up, uh, whatever it is. Let me tell you, every time, that, that's what Jesus does, right? He's not like, oh, you know what? Oh, you guys have an event. I'll show up when it starts, and when it's over, I'm out. How many of you know, we notice that. And the people that stay to say, listen, no, I want to serve. I want to help. I want to give. I want to do something. That's how we look like Jesus. That's what he did. There was this quote out of this book. I didn't read this book because I would have never picked it up once you uh, see the title of it. But the, the uh, author was Alan Creeder. I'm going with that if that's how you say his name. But he was an American historian. He was a professor of church history and missions. And he wrote about the early church in the Roman, you know, before uh, in in the first and second and third century. And this quote that he wrote about early Christianity, he said this. I just want to read this out of it. He says, outsiders looked at the Christians and saw them energetically feeding the poor people, burying them caring for boys and girls who lacked property and parents and being attentive to aged slaves and prisoners. They interpreted these actions as a work of love. And they said, look how they love one another. Isn't that good? And then he says this, they did not say, listen to the Christian's message. They didn't say, read what they write. Hearing and reading were important and some early Christians worked to communicate in those ways. But he says, but we must not miss the realities. The pagans said, look, Christianity's truth was visible. It was embodied and enacted by its members in such a way that people saw the difference. Isn't that good? People became Christians because they observed people who were Christians that acted like Jesus. You, you didn't actually have to preach the message. You do need to preach that because people need to know. But if it's inconsistent with the way we act, how many of you know they're just empty words? Yep. Right? I'm telling you to love and to forgive and all of that stuff. But if I'm not demonstrating Christ in my life, then it's not going to get anyone anywhere. Love for others attracted people to faith, even though, especially at that time, becoming a Christian could mean death. 
They could have gone into the lion's den, right? If we really love people like Jesus did, then I would think we would see more people come to faith. Amen? It's not that we need better preaching or better worship or, you know, more air conditioning or heating, whatever it is. We just need to live lives that really reflect Him. Amen? Let me just say another important, as we're moving on, another important part of (coughs) imitating God is getting rid of the things in our life that do not resemble Him. And uh, this is where Paul takes us in verse 3. He says, Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Okay, he just said, live a life of love. Now he's getting into this sexual immorality. What's the connection there? Uh, The principle is this. Whatever God establishes, Satan will counterfeit. And I did put him in a small S, just so you know there. I did that on purpose. Because Satan is small to me. But he will try to counterfeit what true love is. Like God's telling you to live a life of, of, of love, Satan always comes and counterfeits that he produces counterfeit love to what our world today considers normal, right? They look at Satan's counterfeit and they're like, oh yeah, well, that's what love is, you know? Love is all that emotion. Love is all this perverted stuff that is going on. Counterfeit love is always conditional and it's always focused on self. What can I get out of it? You know, what, how is this meeting my need? What, this is what I need, right? It's not, God's love is always about giving, It's always about serving. It's always about reaching out to others. Counterfeit love will always lead to immorality and impurity. Immorality, uh, in this verse, well, I'm not going to back up to it. (laughs) It refers to any kind of sexual sin, and impurity is a more general term, meaning anything that's unclean or, or filthy. Whatever our immoral, impure thoughts, fantasies, all of that stuff... That's what he's talking about. And I want you to understand that when uh, the Ephesian church, there was still uh, premarital sex, there was immoral sex, there was sexual humor and joking going on, just like it is today. How many of you know, even though technology has changed over the years, over 2,000 years, the human heart is still the same, right? There's just as much perversion now as there was back then. All of that stuff existed back then. But guess what? Paul did not water down the standard to accommodate the culture. Oh, I don't want to be all old-fashioned here. I don't want to that. No, he, all, he called the Christians to a higher standard. And you and I need to live at that same higher standard. Just because we see corruption happening in our world, we don't lo- God does not lower the standard. Oh, well, I know it's more difficult now, so let's lower it a little bit. No, it's still the same. And listen, I know we don't talk about sex much in church because some people think, ooh, that's taboo, right? We don't talk about that. Uh, But how will people know? We can't allow culture and society to set the standard, right? We got to talk about it. We live in a world where, where sex, immorality, and impurity are so accessible, they're just a click away. As much as I like the cell phone, I hate the cell phone at the same time. It has made it too accessible for people. Let me just give you some statistics here because pornography addiction, it's more widespread and difficult to avoid than ever. It's hard to avoid, right? You see billboards, you see a commercial, you see who knows what. And here's the thing, the average age of a person exposed to pornography, over the years it keeps getting lower and lower. Right now it's 11 years old. Think about that. 
Remember when uh, Pastor Colling was saying that the attack on our kids is getting greater and greater? I just want to say 11 years old. That means pretty much every junior high and high school student has already in some way been exposed to pornography. Already exposed to it. Let me give you some statistics here. Just one porn website. I don't know how many there are. I don't even want to know how many there are. But one of them reported 130 million visitors a day. A day. That same website said over... First of all, think about this. There's 7.7 billion people on earth. That's a lot of people. But that one website reported 42 billion visits a year. There's only 7 billion people on the planet... And they had 42 billion visits a year. And, and by the way, porn is not just a man issue. So all of you know those men, those fil- filthy men. 35% of the visitors were women. All right? So it is spreading more and more. Immorality and Im- impurity, it's all around us. And that's why, that's why I fear for our kids. That's why, you know, doing this harvest, this uh, trunk or treat, it, it's not just about, oh, we want to give kids candy. No, we want to expose them, hopefully attract them to something that is pure and holy and by some opportunity to reach out to them. Listen, if we just want to give out candy, we'd say, you know, here's candy, go home and give out candy, right? It's deeper than that. It's about trying to reach our community and, and trying to reach families that desperately need a good example, Amen. So I pray for our students. I pray for our children that that they will live morally, sexually pure in an incredibly impure world. How many of you know it's actually possible, right? That's what normal is supposed to be for a follower of Christ. So I'm I'm sure you guys do, but we need to pray. It's, It's harder now being a young person than it ever has been. We got to realize it is so accessible out there. So let's move on. The rest of verse 3. He said, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity. Look what he says, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. It's interesting to me that he added greed in there with sexual immorality and impurity. Like, how did that get added in? Because greed really is worshiping money, possessions uh, instead of God. Uh, It's living to get ahead, living to not to give, but to get, right? That's what the greedy person is focused on. But I, I just want to tell you, over the years, I have noticed this, that when there are issues of sexual immorality, most of the time there's also issues with money. All right? I want you to think about it. When somebody comes and says, oh, my husband or wife is having an affair, if they'll check the money, they'll see money is going out in places that it shouldn't be. There's a connection that is going on there because the same greedy character that will allow someone to have an affair, it will produce greed in other areas. It just does. Failure rarely happens in isolation, right? In fact, the source of a sexual sin is often greed. It's like, I want this. I want this. I want this now. Uh, I was attracted to this. I wanted that. Me, 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 right? It's not focusing on other people and how I can meet them. It's a greedy thing. And so number four is that greed is living to fulfill your own desires. I'm going to meet my own desires. And and the scripture is like, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. How many of you know, God will meet our needs that we have if we'll put him first, but greed twists that and says, oh, no, 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 you've got to meet your own needs. And unfortunately, a lot of those needs get perverted, right? I think this is one of the reasons Pastor Colling was talking about tithing. It's important because that's one of the tools I believe God gives us that helps us avoid being greedy. 
When I can learn to give away, and, and really giving to God is giving back to Him. But if I can't even do that, then greed has those, His claws in me. And, and let me just say, if you're a single adult here, don't marry somebody that's not a tither, because if they'll cheat on God, guess what else they'll cheat on? Right? They'll cheat on you too. So we, we live, I know, we live, this is such a bummer message, right? We live in a greedy, immoral, impure world. That's the world we live in. And like I said, the church in Ephesus, they lived in that same kind of society. Same situation, right? So Paul says, there must not even be this hint of sexual immorality, uh, any kind of impurity, greed, because those are improper. Uh, that's a high standard. And I want to point out that he didn't say, what he didn't say, he didn't say there must not be sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. He didn't say don't view pornography, don't have an affair, don't watch those raunchy movies. What he said is there what shut, shouldn't be what? Even a hint of it. Not even a hint of it. Wow. I mean, that's pretty serious there. I looked at the dictionary definition of hint. It's a very slight or hardly noticeable amount. There shouldn't even be that. And so I plugged that definition into the verse. It says, among you there must not be even a very slight or hardly noticeable amount of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's people. Right? Not even just... oh. I don't know. I, every, this whole week, not only have I been focusing on living a life of love, I'm like, oh God, not even a hint. Not even a hint. That phrase keeps coming in my mind. And, and let me just say, I like coffee. How many of you guys like coffee here? How would you like if you had your coffee or you got this coffee over here with just a smidgen of rat poison in it? <laughs> just a little smidgen of it, right? No, we wouldn't drink that. Oh, man, give me the rat poison coffee. You know, let me, let me look on what do you got on your menu right here. Oh, rat poison coffee. I'll t no, we wouldn't drink that, right? But isn't it interesting that, that we allow hints of what the Bible says is poison to our mind and our spirit and our soul? Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's not hurting anybody. I want to tell you, this is not a newsflash to anybody, but sexual sin has destroyed many marriages has destroyed families, has destroyed people's future. It's damaged our te people's testimony. And, and honestly, I'm just going to say, it makes us in danger of missing heaven. It's a reality. It's, times people that, that it's time that people in the church stop sleeping around. Amen? Amen. And not just there. I'm kind of sick of seeing some of these high-profile pastors having to step down from ministry because of sexual sin. Why is all of this stuff? Because it's destructive. It's hurting the testimony of the church. It's hurting their families. It's hurting their congregation. And uh, because we allow just a little bit. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's not hurting anybody. And, and listen, I, I'm not talking to target anybody. If you feel like you're being targeted, maybe you've got to check your heart out, right? I heard somebody say, if you ever throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. So if you're, if you're yelping about this... Maybe I need to check my heart, right? So, uh, but let me just, <laughs> sorry. When it comes to this, we've got to really examine our heart. What am I watching? I mean, this is a high standard, right? Lord, that means I may have to change some things. That means I might have to unsubscribe from some things, right? That may means I have to delete some videos or uh, whatever it is. I've got to check myself on that, right? 
Life change happens, right? So Paul goes on, verse 4. Let's move on. I'm not going to keep beating you up over that. I'm going to beat you up on this one. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk. This is Paul via the Holy Spirit doing this, right? He's challenging them to live a life worthy. He says, uh, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And, and, and we understand this. The things that we think about, that affects our talking, doesn't it? And the way we think and talk eventually affects our actions, the things that we do. So if I can control my mind and control my mouth, then I'll, most likely I'm not going to act in a way that's ungodly. I, I've got I've to think through this. And listen, I know everybody's got a different definition of what obscene or a curse word is, right? You can go to some areas like, well, that's not a curse word here. You can go to somewhere else, and it is. Paul understood. There's no loopholes here, but he says no obscenity. And in case you don't understand that, he's saying no foolish talk, no coarse joking. That means no sexual innuendos. Or, oh, man, but it's so fun. No dirty jokes. All of that stuff is out of place for a follower of Jesus. Because when we talk like that, guess what? We don't reflect Jesus. When we allow that stuff to come out of our mouth, we're, not, we're, not dem- we're demonstrating who we used to be. What does it say in Matthew 30, uh, 12, 34? For out of the overflows of your heart, your mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Listen, according to Jesus, we don't have any excuse. What comes out of our mouth comes from our heart. We can't deny that. So uh, the reality is we reveal our relationship with Jesus by the words that we speak. What's ever coming out of there, I've got to look at that. Number five, the fill-in. Obscenity, coarse joking, foolish words are the result of a heart that needs to be transformed. And let me just say this, we're all in that process. Maybe you've allowed words to come out. That doesn't mean you've got to get saved again, okay? It just means like, oh God, I've got to allow you to transform that part of my heart. I need you to, I need you to do that change. Because remember what I said at the beginning, Jesus on the inside changes what? The outside. Jesus should change the words that come out of my mouth. And uh, so how do we do that? Well, let's look back at that verse one more time. There shouldn't be any of that talking, but rather what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. To replace all of that stuff should be words of thanksgiving and gratefulness to God for the things that he's done for us. Begin to replace this. And this will help you. I have this in your notes, is that we need to slow down and think before we speak. Let's just be honest. How many times have we spoken before we thought about what we said? And then we're like, how many of you know you cannot retake that? It's like sending an email. Have you ever sent an email and you wish you unsent it? Where's the unsend button? You can't do it. Just like your words that come out of your mouth, you can't unsay them. We've got to actually slow down, think about what's coming out of our mouth, and maybe even ask yourself this question. What kind of people would tell the joke that I'm about to tell? Right? What kind of people uh, would use this phrase that's about to come out of my mouth? Who would say this? Is it, is it somebody that, is that normal for a person that's a follower of Jesus to say what I'm about to say? Or is this like more the old self? Are my words going to draw people to Jesus or are they going to push them away? We've got to begin to ask ourselves, slow down enough to begin to ask yourself, is my words positive and encouraging or are they tearing other people down? 
This is a huge thing. I mean, let me tell you, I have, I've always had like this quick wit, and I could cut someone down in a heartbeat. Because I was the youngest. My brother and sister are older than me, and uh, they were both stronger than me growing up. And I, the only way that I could fight back was with words. So it was a long process for me to like, like sometimes those words still come to my mind, but guess what? They don't come out of my mouth anymore most of the time. <laughs> Just occasionally, Lord help me, right? I'm, I'm trying to think about that before. So we have to realize, and, and uh, here's the consequences of uh, if we don't adopt this nor, new normal, he says this in verse 5, for you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man is an idolater, and idolatry is simply putting something before God. Oh, I'm putting this before God. He goes, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Ow. How many of you know this is not just old-fashioned, this is not just me trying to be super holy out here. This is, this is something that God says. And I, sometimes we look at the Bible verses and we try to apply uh, God's word to our, our, our culture today, right? Individualistic, we're independent, we're doing this. Uh, but listen, you cannot opt out of what God says in his word. Like, okay, God, I'll follow this, but no, I'm, I'm not checking that box. Uh, you know, that's, that's for somebody else. It's not a matter of conviction here. It's a command from God. You know how you can find out what a command is? A command is usually followed by one of two things, either a blessing or a consequence, right? And uh, the blessing, if you obey, the consequence, if you disobey. And uh, here's, here's another principle. When you turn a command into a conviction, you risk facing the consequence, Oh, I'm just not feeling the conviction about that. I'm not feeling that. My words aren't that big of a deal. My actions are not that big of a deal. Uh, it is a big deal, right? You can't just replace that. He says you can be sure that no immoral, impure, greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. How many of you know that's a big deal? And the next two verses may seem disconnected, but they're really not. Then he goes on to say, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not even be partners with them. What is he talking about here? We have to be careful because there are people that will deceive you with their words and say, ah, sexual sin is not that big of a deal. Oh, you're not hurting anybody. It's just you and your phone or whatever. Uh, your words are not that big of a deal. Don't get all worked up about it. And he's saying, listen, don't be deceived with people with those empty words. Uh, you know, uh, everybody gets to heaven, right? In the end, it really doesn't matter how you live. You prayed the prayer. Remember you prayed that prayer. You're good. It's okay because after all, God wants you to be happy. Anybody ever hear that one? Right? How many of you know the Bible doesn't say anything about God wanting you to be happy? He wants us to be holy and make it heaven. He's, oh, you can have sex now. Well, I've heard this one. We're married in God's eyes. We're married in God's eye. It's okay. You can do it. It's natural. It's a natural human thing that we do. Besides, God knows your heart. Let me tell you, those words were created by people who want to excuse their lifestyle and action and justify sin. And Paul says what? Do not be partners with them. Don't even hang out with them, right? Doesn't mean you disassociate from the world, but they better not be the closest people that are speaking into your life. We need people that will draw us to Christ, not pull us away from him. Amen? 
We need, uh, we need people. If there's somebody that constantly trying to get you to compromise your lifestyle, your walk with him, it's time to distance yourself. Oh, come on. Come on, just have one drink. Come on, it's not a big deal. Just come on and do that. It's like, it's time to turn around like Jesus to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. Right? Quit trying to pull me in the wrong direction. We need to influence our world, not be influenced by the world. Amen? So uh, why is that so important? What does he say? He goes, for you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the lord amen we used to live that way that's where i used to be greedy sexually immoral darkness that used to describe me but now i'm in light so in light i should be reflecting goodness righteousness and truth right so uh timothy you can you can come up this whole 10 verses that we've been covered and we're, uh, we're actually almost done can be uh, summarized in two phrases here. So if you didn't get anything out of what I've already said, uh, I'm going to give it to you real quick in two nutshells. Number one, we need to love people to Jesus. That's right. How many of you know you cannot argue somebody to Christ? I've, not, I've yet to meet the person that was in an angry argument on Facebook and all of a sudden convicted of their sin and want to give their life to Jesus. Right? It, it doesn't work that way. We love people to Jesus. That's the whole reason, like I said, that we're even doing this trunk or treat. The whole reason we're even doing a chili cook-off and the Freedom's Got Talent is because we want to demonstrate the love of Christ. Right? And, and it's in something as simple as that, to love people, let them see Jesus, and by some means, you listen, it's the Holy Spirit, because like I said, we're going to hand out an invitation to everybody that comes to that next Sunday service. That's why we got to have enough chili, right? <laughs> That's why we, we want it to be a great day that people can come and in the process of that hopefully meet Jesus, right? It's not about getting heartburn from chili or anything like that. It's about introducing people to Christ, right? That's the most important thing. So love people to Jesus and secondly, to live differently. If we live just like the world around us, guess what? We're not imitating God, we're imitating our world. And there's enough people, can I just say, there's even enough Christians that are doing that. The world is looking for somebody that will choose to live their life different. Because when we live differently, people are like, there's something different about you. What is it? Why is it that you're not so angry? Why aren't you so bitter? Why aren't you so critical? Why aren't you like everybody else? And guess what, who we get to point to? Jesus. Jesus is the only reason for any of that. And I want to I pray. Can I have everybody stand? If the standard is not even a hint, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you know most of us are guilty? Not even a hint. So I want to pray, Lord God, you have set a high standard. And Lord, we, we, we know that none of us can meet that standard on our own. Lord, your word says that all of us have fallen short of that standard. But Lord, you can help us to begin to look more and more like you. Lord, you can help us to begin to reflect you more. And Lord, it's not a matter of trying to stop saying words we shouldn't say or do an action. Lord, it's about a matter of having you on the inside. Lord, more of Jesus. 
more of Jesus on the inside. So, Lord, that's our heart cry today, is, Lord, that we would draw closer to you today. Lord, the things of our life that don't reflect you, Father, I'm asking that you would cause them to begin to fall off, Lord. On the left and the right, Lord God, cause that stuff to begin to fall off. Lord, it's not a matter of me just on the outside trying to fix things on the outside. Lord, it's a matter of that heart, Lord. So, Lord, I want to live that life of love. Lord, I declare that over Freedom Church, Lord God, that we are going to live a life of love and we're going to demonstrate love to those in our community and those in our families, Lord, those in our neighborhood, those uh, that, that live close, Lord God. Let us be in demonstration of your love. Help us to live that different standard, Lord, not out of self-righteousness, but Lord God, out of love to you and to begin to love others the same way. So, Lord, I thank you. So we uh, just even commit this time, Lord God, we're just saying move, move in our hearts, Lord God, move in our community. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.